I really think that for companies who want to deliberately move to remote work, there is a huge opportunity because you can, uh, because of that diversity, you can have diverse talent and not be um, limited to a certain location. Uh, that's a huge advantage. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 110. Today, we're talking about going from design to product and leading a remote team with Adar Hay. Adar is the CEO and co-founder of Jiga, Jiga.io, that's J-I-G-A, and they are a company that's centralizing and automating manufacturing sourcing. That's right, it's a spot where you can automate RFQs, POs, order status, Ultimately, you can cut down on a lot of communications and emails between suppliers and the companies that are using them. Now, I'll say this up front. I had a blast recording this episode. We covered everything from marketing to podcasting, remote work, product design, digital transformation, more more stuff in between, right? I'll put this in order for you. So before I get carried away, let's talk about the three things you can expect from this episode. First, we're going to hear about the start of Adar's career in marketing and discuss that podcasting and content strategy. Second, you're going to hear us having a pragmatic two-way conversation about digital transformation and even a new way of thinking about it. We'll talk about product design, Adar's podcast. Then finally, we're going to talk about how to lead a remote team when it's a small company, a startup that's truly globally distributed. As always, if you want to learn more after the interview, you can go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 110. And if you are enjoying this show and you enjoy this episode, well, hey, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. I haven't asked you to do this in a while, so hey, we could use some fresh reviews. We love everything you've said about the show on LinkedIn, online. We'd love to see that over on iTunes. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. Or if you're a listener on a different platform, hey, leave us a five-star rating over there. Again, if you could leave that review, even if it's just a couple sentences, that helps tremendously as well. So again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. And in the meantime, it's time to meet up with this week's guest. Let's go catch up with Adar Hey. Okay, Adar, welcome to the show. First question's got to be, if we were hanging out in person, having this conversation over a drink, where would that be? Havana, Cuba. Oh, oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> I've been there in uh, 2014, and it was crazy back then. I think there was no smartphones, no internet, um, really a very different atmosphere, uh, some sort of magical atmosphere. And this is something that I've never experienced before. So, yeah. That's a place to be. A place frozen in time, very relaxing, very easy to be in the moment of the conversation. So let's say uh, you and I are having uh, Cuba Libres in Cuba. And, yeah. you know, I ask you, hey, you know, what does uh, what does Jiga do? How do you describe that as if you're hanging out on the shores of Cuba with someone? 
So Giga helps companies build a manufacturing sourcing process that drives down time to market, errors, and costs. You basically automate uh, tasks that are done manually, like emailing suppliers back and forth and ordering and checking on orders. We centralize and track this information uh, in one place to just make it all more efficient and, and faster. And we're going to dive into Jiga a bit later in the interview. But uh, first, we want to get to know you a little bit. And you've had quite the career leading up to starting Jiga with your co-founders. And I, I got to ask you, so describe what you were doing before Jiga. Yeah, so I had a B2B marketing agency where we helped uh, different B2B organizations, usually uh, very traditional organizations, um, many manufacturing clients as well. Uh, we actually uh, handled their, all of their and marketing needs, basically. Um, digital marketing, conferences, um, sales, SDR, stuff like that. And uh, so we were a full service uh, marketing agency. It was uh, very fun. You know, I, I saw that you had that marketing background. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you is, what do you feel is one of the most underrated marketing strategies in today's industrial environment, right? Obviously, you're running your own company right now, so you have a bigger picture. But what are your thoughts? What do you see out there? Yeah, so definitely there's no uh, one-size-fits-all answer, but I would say that a very interesting opportunity in the industrial sector specifically is um, being more fun, being uh, more casual, being less official, being more human. People like authenticity, and um, it happens a lot more in the software world than it is in the industrial world. People are less authentic or less um, friendly or less fun or less uh, uh, acting like a consumer brand in a way. And I think it will get there eventually, but it's, it's still far, far back and it's boring for people. Well, I want to dive into this a little bit more because I think you know that this is a central mission of Manufacturing Happy Hour, right? You know, talking about these topics as if we're having a drink, humanizing all these manufacturing brands. Can you tell me one thing or maybe a couple things that Jiga is doing to be more fun and more human in your approach to marketing so far? So it starts with uh, our copywriting. Our copywriting and messaging is just um, more friendly, more down to earth. Uh, just like you're, as you said, we are speaking with each other over a drink and we want someone to do a certain action. We're not going to officially tell him or her what to do. Um, we're going to add some fun and, and spicing to it. So it starts with the messaging, but then also the visuals are, are younger and, and more fun. And uh, the whole culture, we, we talk uh, on social media, we create content in a way that's just more uh, casual. A couple things from that one, right? Starts with the copy, right? Starts with the written word, and then you can transport that out to images, to videos, all those different things you do. You know, one thing I've seen with your team, and I see your co-founders share content you know, I think at least a mistake I see is a lot of companies are just sharing content from the company page or employees are just sharing company content, yeah. right? But you, like half the things I see from you and your team are the things that are just as about as much about your team and your culture as it is about the solutions you provide. Yeah, 100%. I think that uh, people want to connect with people and uh, just being 
honest, being um, upfront, talking about different challenges as well, like being vulnerable um, is very important. And, and sharing things from the human perspective of me as the CEO or, or um, my co-founder as the CTO um, and, and how we deal with different uh, things is, is very important because uh, we see things differently. We are humans and uh, these are things that people connect and relate to. You know, one another thing you've done recently is you've launched a podcast as part of Jiga. It's called the Design to Product Podcast, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that kind of in the context of Jiga's story of going from concept to product. But before I get there, you know, how, can you share how your podcast has tied into that marketing strategy, and maybe share specifically what your goals are around the podcast? Since I think a lot of people are always trying to figure out, hey, how can I add this type of channel to my marketing repertoire? Yeah, so it was a, a very interesting um, thing that we decided to go with because we realized that there's not a lot of um, not a lot of content about uh, getting from design to product in the sense of um, supplier management, supply chain management. Like, how do you deal with different challenges around that? And we wanted to provide uh, our audience valuable content that they might be facing. Um, to to get to to the product um so anything around sourcing and supply chain management and operational management um and, and engineering and, and design for manufacturing all of this is uh, uh we wanted to provide value there and one interesting thing about podcast is that you can turn that into many other types of content. So you can turn that into videos and you can turn that into blogs and you can turn that into um, many things. So, uh, mm -hmm. so, so just a very good way of creating a piece of content that turns into other pieces of content later. Our, uh, our audience should be fairly familiar with that since a lot of them follow the show on LinkedIn and social media and, and they see that all the time, right? We're pulling the best quotes, the best videos from these episodes. And and I think that's that's the right approach, right? I, the reality is, you know this better than anyone. This is not the first time you've started a podcast. You have one of the most successful tech podcasts in Israel as well. But uh, the reality is podcasting takes a while for the audience to grow. Like it's nothing that, you know, it looks really cool when you post a picture, a post to LinkedIn and you get thousands of impressions and likes, but it takes much longer for the podcast itself to grow. So um, I guess I, I kind of want to go back to maybe something I was asking as part of that first question. Since podcasting is more of a long game, how are you measuring the success today as someone that's a B2B marketer that's used to having a lot of metrics and focusing on impressions and conversions, etc.? Yeah, so conversion management, conversion measurement is, um, is a, a topic where you... It's, it's a little tricky in B2B because you don't want to only play the short game. You want to also play the long game of getting a following, gathering people to, uh, gathering a community, get them to know you. And this takes time. And people are not just uh, clicks and views and, uh, and, and plays. It's also just... Just like you are with, with other B2B brands, you, you get familiar with the brand, you consume that content, you might only buy in a year from now, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. So the ways that you want to measure it are, are ways that you would just 
see how much impact you made with the content, how much people, how many people you helped, and not necessarily like if that episode led to immediate conversions, but just like did that content give them value? Was the value um, related to what we're helping to solve? Obviously, you don't want to talk about uh, kitchens if you sell uh, manufacturing software, but you would want to help them solve challenges that they might face and uh, they might also in the, in the future buy your product when they need it. Yeah, I like the keeping perspective, the long game. I mean, where at least where I do it, I look at comments on LinkedIn about the episodes or someone saying, hey, I learned X from this podcast, right? And, you know, there are a lot of ways to measure those small victories along the way to playing that long game that ultimately someone might buy a year or two exactly. down the line. Exactly. These are great ways to measure the, the impact and the value that you give your listeners without uh, trying to sell to them. They, no one wants to to be sold too. So that's how you do it. So I'm going to put a little spin on on your podcast. It's called Designed a Product and it's it's very much from a manufacturing standpoint, but I all I kind of want to hear about Jiga's story from going from concept, a design if you will, to mm-hmm. a product. So take, you know, how did Jiga get started? So I sat together with my co-founder Asaf who ran a job shop. And I just saw how his process works. He told me about how he manages quotes and orders. And we started looking into uh, the way that he managed that. Uh, And coming from software world, I wasn't really used to see so much manual work. And I imagined that uh, his customers experienced the same inefficiencies. Uh, So we started with this uh, initial direction and iterated many times on the idea. Um, And we, started it all very manually. We just start launching an online form that promised to uh, take orders from people. It wasn't, it was before our CTO joined, so we didn't have any technologies. Um, we stored our parts in our living rooms. Uh, then Jonathan joined, uh, we built the, the products and, and we uh, kept going from there. So I'm curious, since this is, you know, since ordering parts, it's a big part of a manufacturer's design process, right? You know, I I was asking, what do you think people miss in terms of marketing earlier? But what's something manufacturers often miss when they're going from design to product? And feel free to put this in the context of some of the problems that that Jiga helps solve. Yeah, so I think manufacturers miss the relationship and collaboration aspect with their suppliers and manufacturing partners. Uh, sometimes they treat it as, it as a transactional relationship, when in reality, most of the time it can be a partnership. You have to set expectations. You need to think about future things uh, in advance. So you want to really think things through because it's it's... Uh, in hardware, there are many room for, there are a lot of room for mistakes. You can just change uh, your prototype from uh, now to now to now. You need to plan for production, think about regulations, think about high volume manufacturability and costs. So don't leave that for later and use the manufacturer's expertise. You know, one one thing I was thinking of is I'd love to hear a before and after of someone using. Jiga, right? Like what was, what were they experiencing before they had you as a partner? What did they experience after they're leveraging your services? And, and honestly, one of the main reasons I bring this up is supply chain's a huge issue right now. So you're in a hot market. So I'm curious, you know, I'd love to hear maybe a story that exemplifies what you do. 
definitely we can talk about a specific uh, company that um, used to order parts in a very disconnected way. There are many engineers, many procurement people that just order parts from suppliers and use their tribal knowledge, uh, each one in his own email silo. Um, they used to email back and forth, uh, CC many different people in the team, um, and it was very error-prone. Each person just uh, managed his own spreadsheet or Monday or, or any, any tool that they wanted to use. Um, but uh, they realized that they just waste so much time. And especially when there's someone who needed to approve that and this person just gets all sorts of emails and needs to go through an approval process and then there's changes and revisions and everything is just a huge mess. Um, so what we did with, with them is just consolidating, just centralizing all of this information in one place and, and automating a lot of this the processes that they used to do and manually. And that helped them to reduce the time that they uh, generate the PO in, in more than 80%, which is huge. And uh, we're able to get more competitive terms, uh, save a lot of time for the employees. So that's, uh, that's the change that we want to, to make in the world. We want to help manufacturers go through that process of just a huge void in this market that uh, turn that manual process into an automated and centralized one. It's uh, it's funny, right? I talked to a lot of manufacturers about digital transformation, and I think we scare people with that term a lot of times. What you're doing is digital transformation, moving them off of a spreadsheet into a more streamlined automated process. That's what I do from a maintenance standpoint with with fixed software. It's you know, it's one of those things that I try to convince manufacturers of. It's like, don't get scared by these ideas. A lot of times it's looking at, hey, what am I doing manually on a whiteboard in a spreadsheet? And how can I leverage a tool that allows me to, in this case, you know, order parts better, get better terms, all of those things that you mentioned. Yeah, but you know, Chris, I think that um, digital transformation might uh, sometimes scare people off because uh, they were like, they're thinking about transformation. This is a huge thing to, to go through. And maybe if they just use a fixed software, this is not necessarily like a huge transformation. They, they just automate the things that they do manually now. And if you talk um, in a simple way, maybe they, they would be more inclined like to start and then maybe to transform like you're saying because that's the the end goal i think you're bringing up a great point that we need a, a like a smaller less intimidating incremental term yeah. like you know digital baby steps or yeah. something to get someone <laughs> exactly. there because that's like any transformation, as anyone knows, that old analogy, hey, the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, right? So, yeah, yeah I don't know if we're going to I don't know if we're going to come up with the new term on this this episode, but you're absolutely right. We need to find a way to yeah, describe it. It's, it's like I, I want to start exercising and then I'm, I'm like going to transform and I'm going to lose 30 per, uh, 30 uh, kilograms. And yeah. Next morning, I just don't do it because it's just so huge. And maybe the way to do it is just uh, go out for one run and mm -hmm. uh, and then keep going from there. Yeah, or even start with a walk, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I always look at it. It's, it's those little habits that you get in there. And I think exercise is always a great one because 
I mean, at least for me, when I exercise, especially if I haven't been doing it in a, in a while, it's, you know, just feeling a little better, like having been to the gym once or twice. And that's the initial thing that keeps me going. I think that that maybe that bodily feeling of progress is what what motivates me there. Yeah, yeah. Your brain creates all sorts of hormones and uh, makes you feel happier. Th bad things look less bad to you. And that's that's scientific. I love this. We're bringing together digital transformation, getting exercise. I didn't realize today was going to end up being a health and wellness episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to bring it. I'm going to reel us back in a little bit. I, I, you know, I'm curious because you've been doing the uh, your new podcast, Designed a Product. And by the way, for anyone listening, I'll have a link for that in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. But I'm curious, have you learned anything from doing that podcast that's helped you in your business, right? You're talking to leaders that are, you know, making evolutions within their organization. I'm curious, what have you learned that's helped you as a leader at Jiga? So I think when you're building a, a product, especially in a, something new, you always have to talk to your customers. You want to talk to people in your industry and you want to talk to them about the problems. Uh, and about the needs. And the podcast was also very helpful for me in getting into their heads and understanding how they think, what words do they use, um, how they see the world and how they would maybe want to change. They also taught me a lot of things about just manufacturing, product design. I didn't come from this world with this expertise, so I had to learn many things myself and interviewing people is just a great way to to learn yeah inter interviewing people who could potentially be your ideal customer hearing their challenges firsthand i can't think of a better cheat code for building a great business yeah some people i interviewed turned to be giga's customers so there you go without me even trying to sell to them yeah <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It's it's podcasting 101. I tell people the same thing, right? If you want to start a podcast, interview, start by interviewing the people that are your best customers and the people you wish were your customers. So yeah, we are covering a lot of ground today. I, uh, I'm actually going to do another 180 on us because there's another topic that really impresses me about your team and that I've seen you post pictures of this. Your team is literally located all around the world and it's still a relatively small, nimble team, but I've seen pictures of it. it's like this person's in North America. These people are in Europe. This person's in Israel. This person's in Asia Pacific. You know, can you describe like kind of what the breakdown of your remote team is right now? And I'm sure it's going to evolve, but I've got some questions. I'd love you to set the baseline first. Definitely. So we are 13 employees. We have employees in, uh, so full time, we have employees in England, in Ukraine, in the United States, in uh, Kosovo, in um, Bosnia. Um, so in Philippines, so all over the world. And, uh, yeah, I think that remote team is, is more of an attitude. It's not just about working remotely. It's, it's cultural. You see, you need to fully trust the people that you work with. So that eliminates a lot of people that you cannot, if you cannot fully trust them, you cannot work with them because you, you can't even see what they're doing. So, um, you attract people that uh, can manage this, can manage themselves, like, like this lifestyle. It's not for everyone, right? Some people don't like that. Uh, you can trust them, but they don't want to uh, work rem remotely. 
And you need to find ways to work asynchronously and also have fun together in a remote setting because it's you cannot just work without seeing people, talking to people. Um, you don't count hours, you count effectiveness uh, because mm -hmm. you can see the person, it doesn't come to the office. So the only way to measure them is like, what, what did you deliver? And I think that's a very smart thing for, for every business to, to start doing, not count how many hours you work, but count how effective, how much effectiveness did you, did you bring, at least for our kind of business. Um, you also have a very diverse set of people uh, in your company, which is also a great, uh, a great thing. Yeah, I a uh, lot of, lot of questions I still have for you around this because I'm sure a lot of people are trying to figure because uh, remote work is staying one way or another in the world, right? It's what comp companies are going to need to do to be competitive. It's going to be hard to say you must be here in this city at all times. So maybe the first basic question I have is, tell me how you make sure everyone has like clear goals and objectives when you're spread across the world because you're measuring on results. So I want to make sure I understand how are you doing this fundamental aspect of it. So one thing we have is uh, we have a weekly meeting, we weekly gathering where we talk about what we plan on delivering and what we delivered last week. Um, and we ask each other questions to clarify and uh, synchronize everything and make sure everyone understands everything. Um, so this is one way to, uh, to, to make sure that you uh, keep your hand on the pulse. And uh, the other ways are just setting up goals. So they are K KPIs, have, making sure that they're always in front of us in a digital way um, and make sure that uh, we talk about them, if, even if it was a failure. Uh, but it's very important to be honest and upfront with ourselves. We set up this goal and the, the specific activity of goal setting is very important because if you set up a goal, you want to achieve it. You're not going to set up a, a goal that's not ambitious. So you're going to set up something that's ambitious, but doable. And it gets you to a point where you're always, you always want to keep on going and delivering. I figured you'd probably had like a cadence in place, like a weekly meeting for that. Maybe um, another question that came up is how do you adjust, right? I mean, it sounds like if you're having a weekly meeting, you can tell, hey, maybe this goal we set isn't the right goal, or maybe it's too much of a stretch. Do you have ways to adjust, whether that's in a group or one-on-one -on -one as well? Yeah, so if, for example, uh, we kick this goal's ass <laughs> and uh, we, we uh, see that it was too low. So we definitely bring that up next time and have a conversation about that and, and vice versa. If it was like too ambitious and uh, it was not doable, so uh, we will change accordingly. We have a lot of asynchronous communication via uh, Slack and, and other tools. Uh, that we use. So um, a lot of things happen and, and the communication is very quick about these things. How do you manage, uh, this is this is a very basic question, but one that as someone that works remotely in North America, I'm basically managing three time zones for all practical purposes. How do you manage global, like basically you cover every time zone in the globe where yeah. people would work the professionally. never flips. How do, you, how do you manage that part about it to not only be effective, but also, you know, let people live their lives when they're not working as well. Yeah, so 
Definitely, it's a challenge. We have this dashboard in our uh, main database about uh, each person's time zone, and you can see that visually. Um, we have, uh, for example, if someone is on my team and is like on a different time zone, we have these um, meetings set up to to synchronize between our our tasks and what we have to do. But uh, other than that, it's um, people are independently. Uh, delivering what they have to deliver. So it's not like we have to have this communication all the time, but it definitely, def it's definitely a challenge uh, where sometimes um, I need to be available to someone and I'm not or, or the other way around. But um, because of that necessity, because we need to do that, it just, it just works, you know, people are used to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's one of those things that you dive into, you start, figuring out the cadences pretty quickly, understanding, hey, this person's on this time zone most of the time, this person's there, and you start to adapt very quickly to that. Yeah, it's important to say there should be like uh, some hours if someone is working together with someone else that they work uh, at the same time because there should be some synchronous time. So it can't be uh, completely disconnected. That's, I think, not is not healthy. And, and I, I guess I have two... Two more big questions, and each are on different sides of the coin around remote work. I'm curious, what's like an unexpected challenge you've encountered from leading a remote team? I'd love to hear that. But then I'm going to bring it back to the positives and say, what's something that's worked out better than you could imagine? So let's let's start low and then bring us back up. What's an unexpected challenge you've encountered leading a remote team? I think it's definitely about building a good experience for everyone, making sure that the team stays uh, together, knows everyone, having fun. Uh, it's hard to, to have fun remotely, uh, but um, we managed to do that, uh, I would say, pretty well. Um, especially recently, we introduced a lot of uh, games culture, which forces you to have fun in a synchronous way. Uh, so we take the time on our calendars, we book times to play games, uh, computer games, and it's super fun. Um, and, and we do all these other things. We meet once a year, everyone physically in somewhere around, around the world. So we do these things, and I think that worked uh, very well. I mean, people really know each other uh, in the company, but you have to be very deliberate about that. You cannot just assume that it will happen on its own, you have to really invest your, your time and resources to, to make that happen because it doesn't happen naturally in an office environment. Yeah, so you've got the games, you bring the team together once a year. Um, so then let's go on the other side of this. What's something that has worked, like maybe you didn't even expect to be as effective as it was, but you're like, gosh, working remotely has allowed our team to do this? Or you know, what's, what's your example of, hey, something that surprised you that worked out really well? getting really good people i'm i'm yeah. always uh proud and surprised of how great these people are and uh, and being able to hire them and hire people who are independent who are ambitious who are who are really capable um and and have them work together it's something that i expected it to be harder than it is it works very well um this asynchronous collaboration and uh, yeah, I really think that 
for companies who want to deliberately move to remote work, there is a huge opportunity because you can, uh, because of that diversity, you can have diverse talent and not be um, limited to a certain location. Uh, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, I, I know that may seem obvious to some, right? But the reality is we talk about, hey, how do we get the best talent in the world now? And you literally have the whole world at your disposal to be able to recruit from. And you know how to leverage that team. And we all know, hey, diverse teams bring diverse thoughts, new ideas. So I love what you've done with the team at Jig. It's cool seeing you guys continue to grow. It's cool seeing the dynamics. It's cool seeing you and your co-founders post photos around the world of where your you know, remote offices are on any given day. So that's that's my last question on this topic is, Where's the coolest spot you've worked remotely? And where's the coolest spot you've seen one of your teammates work remotely? Oh, nice. Great question. Uh, there are so many amazing places. Um, people post photos in the desert and in the beach. I, I like to work uh, from sometimes from nature and, and from the beach. Uh, so I don't have a specific spot in mind, but uh, I think that they're all pretty awesome. But yeah. And one of my co-founders works uh, by the river and send us photos from there. So many cool photos from all around the world. And it's it's very typical for, for our culture. Yeah, yeah. For everyone out there listening, make sure you follow Adar and all his co-workers because you will get some nice photos of laptops sitting on beaches and in forests <laughs> out there when, you, when you're sharing your location. So, hey, I, I appreciate the journey you've taken us through today. You've talked about, you know, your background, marketing, podcasting, remote work, your company. We've covered a lot of ground. As we wrap up, what's the best way to connect with you and Jiga? You can reach out to me via LinkedIn. I'm Adar Hay. Uh, A-D-A-R-H-A-Y and you can email me at adar at giga.io Excellent, and I will link up to giga.io, I'll link up to your LinkedIn, all the links we mentioned, resource we mentioned in this episode will be at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com and with that, Adar, I think our uh, Cuba Libres are getting a little low, I think it's time for, uh, for a refill, so we'll wrap today's conversation and thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thank you so much, Chris, it was fun. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Adar for jumping on today's show. You know, we've been trying to coordinate some collaboration for uh, probably a year now, so I'm glad we finally brought this to fruition. As I mentioned, if you want to learn more, you can do that over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 110. There you can find a link to Adar's podcast, Design to Product. And by the way, I was actually on that show just a few weeks ago, so I shouldn't be far back in the catalog if you want to hear a bit more about the Manufacturing Happy Hour story, some of the things I think about digital transformation and the concepts we were discussing today, like a light version of digital transformation that's all over on his show. By the way, before we wrap up, I do want to say this is coming out at the beginning of October. I'm actually going to be out in Boston next week for one of the Association for Advancing Automations events, A3. If you listen to this show regularly, you know them well. It's the Vision Show and their Autonomous Mobile Robots and Logistics Conference. I'm going to be recording podcasts there. But hey, if you want to hang out, if you want to be there as well, you can join us. Register at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash boston2022. 
particularly for any of you in the area. There's no excuse not to do this. It's going to be a lot of technology, going to be a lot of great leaders in the industry. It is going to be a fun time. Again, catch us in Boston. Those dates are October 10th through 13th. And you can register by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Boston 2022. And as always, thank you, A3, for putting on dynamite events that really bring our industry together. And with that, that's almost it for this week. One more final reminder, if you could leave us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts, that would be a huge help. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes or just, hey, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to this show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.